Welcome, listeners, to the ACEC Kansas podcast, the QBS Express. I'm your host, Scott Heidner. I'm the executive director for ACEC Kansas, and I am extremely excited to have with me a couple of guests today. My co-host, Sarah Clark, who's with our ACC member firm, Transystems, and our guest, Chris Gutierrez with KC Smartport. Uh, Welcome to both of you. Thanks for making time to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, we, Sarah, we shamelessly recruited you because you're extremely involved with Smartport and, and somebody good to help us tell the story here today. Uh, and we'll get into some of your contributions and work on Smartport as we get deeper into the podcast. But for now, Chris, let's, uh, let's start with you. You've been with Smartport a long time, but if you can rewind the playbook back even farther than your professional career, uh, tell us uh, your history and how it eventually landed you here in the greater Kansas City area and at Smartport. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. Um, I grew up in Canton, Ohio, small little town south of Cleveland, known for the Hall of Fame, the Football Hall of Fame. I uh, grew up with three brothers and sisters and uh, very active in our community and friends uh, just running around as a normal kid, played every sport I could as a little kid, ended up playing soccer once got to high school. but. Um, and I collected beer cans when I was little. <laughs> it was a great opportunity for my dad to have sample <laughs> beers, but I ended up doing it internationally. So all of the cans I collected came from other countries, and it was the amazing thing that I could collect American beer cans, ship them to Germany, and I'd get German cans back. And it got me fascinated about international business and transportation and supply chain, and it led to me to where I am now. You have to be kidding. It was collection collecting foreign beer cans yep, that we, lit the fire we pop a hole in the bottom so you didn't open them so they were worth more um, <laughs> and i got to sample occasional beer here and there but my dad took care of the rest but that got me interested and sold that beer can collection about 10 years ago i still had it uh to a neighbor here in kansas city that is the greatest story ever in economic development that is awesome uh how? How old were you when you started collecting beer cans? Well, I was probably nine or ten, and we just started doing it <laughs> locally because my mom used to go to to uh, big flea markets, and there would be people with their stands with beer cans. And then I started noticing foreign ones, and I got this book called The Beer Can Collector's Bible, <laughs> um, and it talked about values of international cans. So I had probably 350, 400 cans that were all foreign beer cans. Do you still just, have the beer can collector's bible you know i think in one of the my parents moves that we lost it so no i don't have it i still remember to look like all graphic pictures of all the cans and where they came from and their value and that is so cool yeah. we'll have to ask you one more question about that we'll all use up all our time exploring this beer can uh genesis i think that is awesome that's outstanding uh, did you at nine and ten years old? While I have no doubt, Chris, that you did not imbibe because that would be, you know, morally improper. Did you have a sense of the greatness that lay within those cans? That uh, no, I just thought it was amazing that you could send them somewhere. And again, as a small kid, thinking about sending beer cans to other countries was something you didn't think about. But it led to my college degree in international business and marketing. I knew I wanted to pursue this career in some way or another, and 
led me to travel the world and it was amazing well i literally don't i don't think i know anybody that has a cooler story of how they uh they found their way into their education and career path that is that is too cool so with that i'll stop obsessing about your beer can collection so that led you into your studies and your interest in the area and from there i did an internship for the state of ohio because i'm from ohio went to a school in ohio state and did international business there got to work with companies who were trying to export their products around the world again fascinating as a college kid to be able to do that as an intern and Missouri was looking for someone to join their international program at the state's Department of Economic Development and moved from Columbus, Ohio to Jefferson City, Missouri. And uh, that was in 1989 and been doing economic development or international business and transportation logistics ever since. How long were you in Jeff City? Well, how long was that stay? About three months short of 10 years. Okay. So I left state government right before I became fully vested in the state <laughs> retirement program because I really wasn't thinking about that. And moved to Kansas City. And I know the purpose of today's program, obviously, is to talk about what you're doing now, but give us just a little snippet of what your remit was at the job in Jeff City. The state of Missouri had a program to focus on helping companies export, but also foreign direct investment in. So uh, when I was there, I, I started off trying to attract companies to invest in Missouri. Um, and we had a lot of Japanese automotive projects back then. Uh, went on my first trip uh, a couple of months out of college to Japan and made a presentation of why companies should invest in, in Missouri. That led to me running the program, and we had 12 offices overseas. I got to travel to over 50 countries helping Missouri companies export their products, and great experience for me. I got to work under Governor Carnahan, the late Governor Carnahan, and travel with him around the world. It was an incredible experience. Very cool. 12 offices around the country. The or, state or around, now has, excuse me, around the world. I mean, the, the state now has almost 18 around the around the world. I'll be so darned. How many of them did you get to go visit? Um, I visited almost every one of them. Then now there's offices in Africa and the Middle East, and I, I didn't get a chance to visit those when I was there. Yeah. But all the others. Okay, so that brings you to Kansas or to Kansas City area, I should say at least. Uh, Smart Porch, your first. Uh, I was going to say protocol. That's a very bad, <laughs> bad pun. Uh, is Smartport what brought you here originally, or did you come for something else and then find your way here? Came from something else. I went to work for an advertising firm that wanted to grow an international presence. Um, and actually, the head of Kansas City Area Development Council's creative team, Jonathan Connect, and I were at that advertising firm, and now we're here together. Um, and then I worked for a manufacturing company for about three years, helping them grow their sales internationally. And when I was at the state, Smartport was created. So I was on a committee with Sarah and others trying to figure out what Smartport meant for the state in Kansas City and um, had the opportunity to join Smartport almost 19 years ago. Very cool. Well, in a minute, I think I'm going to uh, wisely turn over most of the questions <coughs> to, to Sarah as we get into the more technical parts of what Smartport does. But maybe let me ask the global question, and then I'll, I'll defer to, to Sarah and let you guys get into the really cool stuff that goes on here. But at a 30,000-foot level, you know, we talked at lunch about how easy it is for outside folks to have a misperception of what Smartport um, does and, and who it's intended to serve and what parts of the, of the market and the industry. Uh, and, you know, I probably, prior to visiting with you all, I probably didn't have as, an, as acute an understanding of what that mission was either. Tell us at the 30,000-foot level um, how Smartport came to be. Uh, who it's intended to serve and what part of the market occupies your your time and resources 
Smartport was created in the late 1990s, uh, incorporated in 2000 as a regional economic development group. So we're a not-for-profit. We're supported by a list of companies that invest in an organization to grow the Kansas City economic footprint. Specifically, we focus on what we call freight-based economic development. So any project that has freight, cargo coming in or going out of Kansas City is a company we want to attract to the region. So it's manufacturing, distribution, warehouse, logistics companies. The focus is all 18 counties. So 18 counties, 50 communities, both states. We want new investment in that region. We're what you would call a virtual inland port. We don't operate any of the land or any of the transportation logistics port or, or rail terminals. We represent it all and try to attract those companies to invest here in a new manufacturing facility, a new distribution center, competing against the likes of Chicago and Dallas and Columbus and other markets. Our job is to make sure they come here and not those other cities. Very cool. Talk to me a little bit about the history of Smartport. Yes, Smartport, as I said, was created in the late 90s. Uh, there was a number of groups, the Kansas City Regional Chamber, Mid-America Regional Council and Kansas City Area Development Council came together and commissioned a study that, Sarah, your firm, Transystems, did that study, uh, the Mid-Continent Tradeway study, to really look at what activity, economic impact, is, is happening in Kansas City around transportation and logistics. Um, that study looked at a lot of things of how freight moves in and out of the region, how it's processed, both domestic and international, and really recommended a number of things, but one was this region should be a larger, significant inland trade processing center for international freight, right in the context of, of NAFTA uh, being created. Um, and the study said there needs to be an entity that really focuses on this sector, transportation, supply chain, logistics. Um, and Smartport was created to target that. And in the early years, we weren't sure what that meant. We looked at planning, we looked at policy, we looked at economic development, and, and really wanted to make a niche that this group could take advantage of and not some of the other groups. Um, and I was hired, like I said, about 19 years ago to really focus it on that industrial freight-based economic development. We've worked on a lot of interesting things over the years, um, some of them having to do with international um, business with Mexico. We've traveled to Panama Canal together. I know you've visited Cuba. How do those connections outside of the region really make our region more strong? Great question. I mean, I mean, you think about the impetus of what we're supposed to do is looking at how freight moves and being centrally located in North America, the I-35 corridor, the Kansas City Southern Rail connection really made sense for us to focus on North America. But there's some niches out there. And again, from a supply chain standpoint, a lot of people don't realize that the Panama Canal, which is a water way to move freight between the two oceans, also has a railway that mirrors the canal. That railway is operated by Kansas City Southern. So we went to Panama to really look at that freight movement and how does freight either coming from Asia to the western edge and or, or freight coming from the Gulf from South America could come to Kansas City and how do we connect that transportation linkages. For Cuba, uh, a lot of history with, with trade to Cuba pre-Castro and as things seemed to be opening up uh, a few years back, a big group of us went there to see the freight movement in and out of Cuba and again how it could connection to Kansas City. So we're looking at unique ways to make sure people know about the Kansas City region, transportation logistics, but our job is to promote this region domestically, internationally, and any opportunity we can do that, we've taken advantage of. What are some of the successes that Smartport has had in the last few years? 
you know, when you look at this region from the study that your team did, that we've always been a transportation hub, we've always been a logistics hub, there's great infrastructure here. But as Scott, you know, Scott said very well in the beginning, a lot of people don't realize that. They, they know they can move around this market pretty efficiently. So our job is to tell that story, to get that word out there. And, and I'll tell you, just in the last couple of years, I think there's been a recognition in the industry that there are a lot of opportunities in Kansas City from transportation resources to move the freight efficiently to industrial real estate development. We had probably close to 60 million square feet of spec development in the last four or five years in this market um, to a great labor force and what we call a speed to market solution. We've got a building, we have planning and zoning done, we have infrastructure and utilities, we have the workforce, you can be operational here very quickly. So while we all had a challenging 2020, uh, we talked at lunch today of being home and being virtual and what does that mean? Our team was very intentional to stay engaged, to tell that story. 19 years, I told you, have been at Smartport. 2020 was the best year we've ever had. Close to a billion dollars of capital investment, 3,000 some jobs, about 125 million in new cap uh, payroll created. It was a great year for us in two sectors, e-commerce, because we all went online and are still online, and food and beverage, because we all continue to eat, and how we got our product and how we that product was manufactured changed and worked well for Kansas City. Talk a little bit more about the kind of site ready and how the engineering industry can support um, those types of developments in our region and, and helping land those businesses sooner. I said a lot about how well we've done and what great years we've had, but the biggest challenge we have is we've got to have sites and buildings because these companies speed the market decision. They think we need a new 500,000 square foot distribution center and we need it in six months. We need a site for a manufacturing operation and we need to start moving forward on that site within the next six to nine months. So having sites ready to go is critical. And from the, the membership, you know, architect, engineers, construction, this critical to make sure that site has all the utilities there at the capacity that's needed in today's market, all the road infrastructures planned or in place, the city's done all the entitlement so that when a client comes, we started calling it vertical ready. The client comes, looks at a site and says, this has everything we want. We want to go vertical tomorrow. If you're not ready with all of the things I just described, they're going to go to another market because they'll have a site. So having the engineering uh, community engage with us to get those sites ready, get the utilities prepared, work with the communities. Right now we're in a place where there's a lot of federal infrastructure dollars. We've got to tap into that. Firms like yours, the Trans Systems, got to help the companies and the communities understand how those dollars can be accessed, how to put into play for the project that's going to come a year or two years from now, but the site needs to be prepped and ready now. So that partnership and the members uh, from the engineering firms that are members of SmartPort are critical to our success. Talking about federal legislation, a lot of times that takes a while to get in place. Um, what are some of the state or local mechanisms that you're using to help advance investment we are part of both Missouri and Kansas's Departments of Transportation long-range planning projects, as well as Mid-American Regional Council. Mark, we're involved in the freight movement uh, planning stages to make sure that we're looking how growth and development and investment is happening in our region, where it potentially could be happening, so that the planning stages are done. Uh, both uh, MoDOT and KDOT have to submit freight planning documents each year to get federal funds. We want to make sure there's a freight voice to those planning, the trucking and shipping community. All of that is critical as well as the barge. You know, Kansas City is unique in that we have all four modes of transportation, river, air, 
trains and, and, and trans uh, highways, all of that has to be linked together to show how freight can move in and out of our region very efficiently. So both Missouri and Kansas are updating their freight plans right now. Um, you're a, a part of that. You're also on the Missouri side serving in a supply chain uh, capacity to help the state decide what, what investment needs to happen going forward. What do you feel is some of those important things to help our supply chains? You know, all of us have experienced um, shipments that have taken a long time. I know um, some of the board members at Smartport, we were talking about how long it took to get a refrigerator delivered to our house. <laughs> um, so, um, it, you know, what does Smartport feel um, the Kansas City region is helpful for the supply chain, and, and what are some of the things we can um, build upon? Yeah, good or bad, everybody knows the word supply chain right now. They might not know what it means, but they're saying it at dinner parties. I'd like to say during the pandemic, you got to know who your UPS driver was. Mine, mine was Mike, and he'd <laughs> hang out on the front porch with us. Um, big, we, we know now, all of us individually, that supply chain and transportation is critical to everything we do. And we've got a little bit of challenge right now, and, and, and it is a little bit of multiple players from steamship lines to foreign manufacturing to domestic manufacturing, railroads, trucking companies. You know, all of that were having individual challenges. The pandemic really crashed them all together, and it caused a lot of delays in global supply chain. So you're right, refrigerators, building materials for so the buildings I'm talking about being built, highway infrastructure, all of the things that go into our life and our build environment have been challenged right now. The unique thing about Kansas City, we're still very fluid. We don't have some of the bottlenecks the coastal ports have. You know, you still need to move freight from Asia through the coastal port to get to us, but the railroads offer a great solution to move that quickly. We've got great trucking companies that can move the freight to us, and we'll do the value added here, partnering again with the engineering firms and others to make sure the buildings and the utilities and the capacity on infrastructures there We've got to continue to tell the story that you can do it better and more efficiently and competitively in Kansas City, and people are hearing that. It's, it's starting to really resonate. How about workforce? I know on the engineering side, we're really um, challenged by hiring good engineers and, and support staff and all of the functions that we have to execute. Um, how is the supply chain workforce, um, and, and what does Kansas City offer uh, companies? Workforce is, is tight and the labor market is tight all over the country, so it's not a unique situation that we're dealing with in Kansas City. Uh, I think what's unique about Kansas City is beyond the recognition that the labor market's tight, we're putting solutions in place. For example, there's a couple of real challenges in workforce. One is access. You've got to get the worker, no matter where they live in the region, to the job they took in the other part of the region or down the road. And whether that's their own personal transportation options or whether that's uh, bus and ATA and, and transit options. We talked today at lunch about the streetcar. All of those things have to seamlessly come together to get that worker to the job site. That's not always been the case. So we've got very focused leadership at the chamber and Mark and ATA looking at that job access point to make sure that workers can get there. Our clients, the companies we're recruiting in, it's now, well, first off, workforce is question one, two, three, four, five. But in that list, they're asking about transit. How are you getting workers to, to the job site? There's rideshare opportunities where, you know, Sarah goes to work and she's bringing five of other workers with her in her van to the same job. So if they have to work late, they're all connected together and then she's driving them home. The other is, is, is recognition or awareness of these jobs. 
you know, whether it's working at a distribution center or manufacturing, these are great paying jobs, great skill set, good benefits, great culture. All of that comes together, and these are career opportunities. It's not taking a job and you're making an hourly wage and there's no opportunity to grow. We, the three of us on this call, and everybody else needs to tell our kids and our grandkids and our nieces and nephews that jobs in supply chain, distribution manufacturing, are career opportunities, well-paid, family, you know, raising salaries with great benefits, and we've got to continue to do that. We've got the workforce in Kansas City. We've just got to answer a couple of those questions, and there's great programs, as well as training, getting people skilled up for the jobs that are out there. Um, on that training side, you know, technology is really becoming an important um, point with distribution centers, you know, automating facilities. Um, even some of the rail facilities have automation in, built into them. What are you seeing as some of the new technologies that are coming online or, or things that are happening here in Kansas City that might be one step ahead of other regions? Yeah, every company out there, whether you're a manufacturing, engineering firm, or, or a distribution center, you're implementing some sort of automation or technology or advanced equipment processing within your, your organization because you've got to address that skill set and that more efficient uh, opportunity it creates for you. So in the distribution centers alone, some of the things we're starting to see are robots that are moving freight around the distribution center in and out of the, the, the storage racks and other things. Uh, we recruited during the pandemic, Urban Outfitters is building about a million square feet in Kansas City, Kansas. We believe over a third of that building will be what we call dark. All automation equipment, there'll be no employees in there. It'll move that freight around through an automated system. Uh, you're seeing more and more of that. And again, the robots, both from a distribution standpoint, and some of our advanced manufacturers have robotic welding machines, robotic uh, manufacturing equipment in-house to, again, aid in the tight labor market, but then allowing the labor they are hiring to be paid more and skilled more to operate within these robots and higher technology. So it's a benefit to both sides. What do you feel are going to be the kind of bigger deals that you're going to focus in on in 2022? We continue to see growth in the couple that I already mentioned, e-commerce and food and beverage. Uh, but we see now an increased focus on electric vehicles. Um, as the auto industry globally is committed to move their production to electric vehicles, uh, we're actively working with our existing plants, GM and Ford, on, on potential electrified vehicles there. Ford has already announced one with the transit van. Uh, parts and, and other components that will go into that, R&D centers all around the electric vehicle space right now is, is critical to us. And then we still see traditional manufacturing and regional distribution as well. So it's a little diverse here, but our focus mainly is around e-commerce, food and beverage, and the automotive sector. In the automotive sector, we have two large manufacturers here in our region, um, but we've also seen a lot of suppliers locate here as well. So do you see more of that happening where you're, you know, maybe even in the food and beverage industry where you have a large manufacturer and it's, it's building a kind of community around that? Absolutely. In the automotive sector, I mean, we just announced a deal last week. Our LE is coming to the Hunt Midwest development. They're going to take some of the vehicles produced at the Ford plant and do what they call upfitting. They're going to add things to that truck or that transit van to allow the ultimate user, whether that's a AT&T service or a general contractor or a subcontractor, retrofit the vehicle for their use. 
Um, so we're still seeing a lot of the suppliers coming in. And as models, whether it's the GM or Ford models, switch over to the new model, that generally attracts new suppliers because the vehicles changed a little bit. And again, when you look to, uh, think about electric uh, Ford Transit, that's a different supplier base in addition to the existing supplier base that needs to come in for, for a lot of the parts that will be there. Food and beverage, I mean, we are still seeing tremendous growth in food and beverage, whether it's beverage companies. We located two Niagara okay. bottling plants uh, over the last couple of years or whether it's snack foods, Dots Pretzels, as well as Pretzels that came into the market a couple of years ago, food suppliers, food ingredients. Um, I've got a significant project right now that's looking at the region, almost 300 million capital investment, 300 jobs, and it's all food, food production. We're continuing to see that because, again, pandemic or no pandemic, we're continuing to eat and drink, and there's a lot of opportunities in this Midwest region, Kansas City, specifically for those companies. Can you talk a little bit about cold storage? I know that's um, a challenge for some indus- some businesses in trying to locate, um, but Kansas City has captured some of that business. Can you tell us a little bit more, more about that? Yeah, absolutely. As I talk about the growth in food and beverage, there's a national shortage of cold storage or temperature-controlled space because, again, food products need to be kept at a certain temperature. Some are frozen. Uh, in our market, uh, the first was up in Liberty, uh, the Heartland Cold storage building was announced as a spec building. They were going to build this cold storage facility, hoping a tenant would land. They are still under construction. There's a lot of interest in their building. We hope it gets leased or or purchased if they allow that before it's finished. And then, you know, Kansas City is known for uh, significant underground warehouse space. Almost 15% of our complete industrial footprint in Kansas City is underground in old limestone uh, mining operations. There's one just about to open in Liberty off 210 Highway that'll be a million square feet of cold storage, temperature controlled space targeted at the food and beverage industry. We, uh, My colleague Ellie just toured it the other day. All state-of-the-art infrastructure, all they've redesigned, re-engineered that whole space. So again, from your uh, listener base, Scott, the engineering community, a lot of interesting things go into a cold storage space. It's not just four walls and a roof. Uh, so there's some great opportunities for our industry supporters, uh, companies like engineering to support that growth. You, you just mentioned Ellie. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about her? Uh, Ellie Bone is the vice president of Smartport. She and I are the two leaders of our effort to attract these companies. Ellie's a, a Kansas uh, Resident, grew up in Hutchinson, Kansas, uh, worked for Shawnee Economic Development for a few years and then joined us about four years ago. She truly is, I jokingly call her, the unicorn of economic development. She's young and professional and very dynamic and very focused on this sector with great leadership skills. She's, she's going to be the future of Smartport and economic development in this region, doing tremendous stuff for us. Uh, for 2022, where do you see... Uh, Smartport's growth and uh, how do you th- how do you think that success is going to really play out in development in the region? Well, I think there's a couple areas here. I think we're going to continue to see spec development in our market. Um, again, I mentioned the last couple of years we saw record industrial development. We're on track to beat that again in 2022. I think that's going to continue into 2023. There is still a tremendous demand for available buildings, so we're going to see that. Second, I think you're going to see more and more of the educational community, whether it's high schools or community colleges, or four-year focus on the supply chain sector. We already have great resources now, but even at the high school level, that technical skill set so that high school kids can graduate and take great paying jobs. 
Um, and then I, I think, you know, we're going to host our annual event later this, this year, April 13th in the afternoon at Bartle Hall around the global supply chain and the benefit or the unique advantage Kansas City has. We're very fortunate that Gene Soroka, the head of the Port of Los Angeles, will be here as our keynote to give us a very live and current perspective of the supply chain and what's happening in the port and how Kansas City plays into that. We've got a couple of great speakers that join a panel. Um, join us if you can, April 13th in the afternoon. I think that global supply chain and Kansas City's unique position in it is another thing we're going to focus on this year. What do you think is the most fun part of your job? Every day is different. I mean, I get to get on a podcast with you and Scott. <laughs> you know, I never would have thought that would have been my Monday afternoon. Um, every project we work is unique. I mean, we, we get people ask all the time, well, how long do these projects take to actually land in Kansas City? You know, Ellie worked one all during the pandemic, Chewy.com. It was about a six-month project from start to stop. Never did we talk to anybody. It was all virtual. We've got another one that we're working that's going on year four, trying to get done. It depends on the client. So everything is different. The, the people we work with are different. Our local investor base, our local membership here is so committed to growth in Kansas City. And again, I said earlier, Scott, I'm from Ohio, but there is a leadership group and a, and a group of business leaders in this market. Now, whether you're from Kansas City or not, you get that Kansas City bite. You're so interested in this town and the growth that's happening from our sports teams to the, the arts, uh, you know, the Parade of Hearts is rolling out today around Kansas City. There's so much excitement here in Kansas City that I love this job. I love selling Kansas City. And again, been doing it for about 19 years. And so more to come. Well, let me ask a few questions. So as the, as the layman of the group, really, well, one general comment that I'm going to come back and ask some specific questions. Some of our listeners may remember a couple of years ago, we had Tim Cowden with Kansas City Area Development Council on as a guest. And one thing that's pretty cool to see as, as a part of the podcast, both of you guys, it's not just a job. <clears throat> I mean, the, the passion level and the love of the community and the, the belief or the faith, whatever you want to call it, but uh, that things are going extremely well and that the product you have to offer, like you can... Listeners can't see it because they're not sitting across the table from you, but you and Tim both, I mean, the body language of, of, you know, how proud and how confident you guys are in the product that you have to sell with this region for economic development and everything is pretty cool to see. As a native Kansan, I love it. I think it's awesome. Oh, I agree. I mean, we take Ellie, me, and, and Tim and the other team here. There's a passion and belief about this town and what we do. Uh, we're, we're a little A personality. We don't like to lose, so we're enthusiastic about what we do. We're creative. We think outside the box. Um, and again, I think there's just a belief that this is a great place to be in this region, and uh, we need to tell everybody else about it and continue to grow the market. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a, a, say, or a phrase that has come up, and I'm curious if it was just in the generic anodyne sense or if it's actually an event, uh, the annual industry briefing, uh, is that a thing? <laughs> yep. Every year, Smartport puts on an annual industry briefing. It's, it's not like an annual meeting because we don't really talk about Smartport at the meeting. We talk about the industry of supply chain, transportation, logistics. We've done, uh, this is our 13th year, uh, 2022. We've done the auto industry. We've looked at e-commerce. We've looked at technology. We looked at rail. Last year, we looked at food and beverage. This year, we're going to dive into the global supply chain. So it's what I would call the premier thought leadership event around supply chain logistics in Kansas City. We're hoping to get about 800 people in Barta Hall this year. 
uh, in mid-April, April 13th. Uh, so it's an annual event we put on. It's the only event we put on, and we focus on this sector and why it's important to Kansas City. Very cool. Something else I think is cool, I didn't know this till the three of us were talking earlier, but you guys revealed to me that Smartport is really unique. I mean, I just assumed every major municipality or every forward-thinking municipality probably had something similar to Smartport, and you guys indicated, note, that this is really actually pretty... You mentioned the term unicorn earlier, talking about Ellie, but yeah. uh, Smartport may qualify for the same. Yeah, you know, it's unique in that most other communities and regions have MSAs, have an economic development group like Kansas City Area Development Council, Tim Gowden's group, and they'll have one or two people that focus on distribution or manufacturing. Kansas City is unique, and again, Sarah and her team put this focus together back in the late 90s and said there is a unique segment here that we need to rally around, and the industry, the railroads, the trucking companies, the third-party logistics firm, freight brokerage, all came together as a, as a group, Smartport, and said, let's work together as an industry to grow the industry. Very different than other markets. And again, Sarah and Transystems have done similar reports and studies for other markets and resonated well, great studies, but they haven't really brought their industry together like we have. So very unique on our part. And again, going on 23 years of doing it, uh, very unique. Uh, this is completely random, but I just got done reading Chernow's book on Ulysses S. Grant, and I didn't realize he was one of the very first people that drove the Panama Canal idea, or the idea of a canal, uh, you guys mentioned both being down there at the same time and the and the rail aspect of that that runs alongside the canal. That is a fascinating story, too. Uh, it's not un uh, relevant necessarily to our Smartport conversation, but when you guys talked about that, that is an absolutely compelling story of not only the construction of it, but everything that came before it and the site selection and the battle for where it would go and all of that. But back on Smartport, let me ask you uh, one more question I had when you guys were visiting. You talked about the Urban Outfitters facility and that a third of it is dark because it's fully automated. I've read a lot about that. You know, there's, there's having the robotics there to go pull things off the shelf, but then the sorting often needs to have a human element, but we're getting into a place where that can be done as well. Uh, this is a you, bizarrely specific question, but I have always wondered, for the dark portion of the facility, since there are literally no people in there, is it physically dark? Do they turn the lights off to save money? It is physically dark. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's no reason for lights. I mean, it's all done. It's probably not crazy to you guys because you work in this field every day, but to me that is mind-blowing to think of this enormous you know, warehousing facility and operating at peak productivity and to drive or walk by it, it would be pitch black. That is that is a surreal picture in my mind. Yeah, might not be pitch black, but it, it's yeah. definitely dark. Yeah. <laughs> well, with that, um, before, Chris, we always, on all of these podcasts, we always close with some more fun, lighthearted questions about our guests. But before we do... Uh, anything else about Smartport that our questions haven't given you a chance to reveal that you want to share with listeners? You know, the only thing I'd say I said earlier about the workforce, I mean, we as Kansas Cityans need to tell the story about what's important in this market and the sectors that are growing. Transportation, logistics, supply chain is growing, manufacturing, distribution. All of us should try to connect into it. There's ways to do that, working through your groups got to get connected, but we all need to be talking about how great that industry is here. And we have a saying here at KCADC about being a KC Heartlander. 
when you travel, when you're talking to people, you've got to sell the Kansas City region, tell people what's going on here because there is a lot of opportunity in the market. So I think we all need to get the enthusiasm or excitement about Kansas City. No greater cheerleader than your locals. That's Absolutely. Right. Very sure. cool. Well, with that, let's move into uh, closing here. We always like to learn a little bit more about our, our guests and the fun things in your life. Tell us about uh, what we would find Chris doing on a free day, even though I'm sure those may not ever actually appear in reality, but uh, hypothetically. Well, I'll tell you two things. On free days, it's pretty well committed. My wife and I are engaged in our three grandkids. I mean, it's, it's fun to be back in. Sarah joked she didn't have sports this weekend. Back into our grandkids' sports activities and being able to go and get excited and watch them and then go home. We don't have to worry about where do they go to eat or <laughs> what the rest of the day is. So the grandkids are a big part of that. But, you know, I had a boss a long time ago. Part of my job is traveling, so I'm usually on the road on our end of plane a couple, three, four times a month. Uh, and that manager said, make sure you disconnect on that time. There's a lot of people that work on the plane or they log in. I read spy novels on my, my iPad, and again, I'm, I'm, I, it, it dives into all sorts of stuff, but I can read a full spy novel on one trip. Um, my library and that book and the cost of, of those Apple purchases drive my wife crazy, but um, <laughs> it is some way to disconnect. Into some, a lot of them are similar. You know, they're current events, but mm -hmm. it's all fake and just gets you into a different world so that you can, when you land, you're focused again and your energy levels there. So I read a lot of spy novels on my iPad. Have a favorite author or two? You know, I don't. I've got about 12 or 13. I, I've started to get to a point where I've read all the books they write, and then I say authors like this author, uh -huh. and I'll start a new one. Yeah. Um, so no, just it's all over the board. The That's characters awesome. are, are interesting in themselves, let alone the dialogue of the story. I know a few people that would do that with music, you know, others like, but uh, it is yeah. a committed man that gets through the entire catalog of an author's uh, lineage and does that. So, well, appreciate you both being on. Sarah, thanks so much for agreeing to co-host with me today. Um, we needed you to ask the intelligent questions about Smartport. And Chris, I know our members have partnered with you and your organization so much over the years, and it's such a critical part, not only in providing direct job opportunities to our membership, but obviously the economic infrastructure you are trying to facilitate here gives birth to a whole nother market segment for our members. So appreciate the work you do here and really appreciate you opening up your schedule and taking some time to visit with us. Thank you, Scott. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Well, that, <clears throat> excuse me, listeners, thank you for tuning in to another edition of the QBS Express, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>